Welcome to the On3 Podcast, where we talk about the mission of Grace Church and the moment we're in. Hey, this season we're discussing how we can stand in the difficult intersections of life with young adults. I'm your host, uh, Michael Marshall, and today I have Kevin Stoffer. Uh, Kevin Stoffer, you've been a missionary for 21 years in France. Yeah. Uh, you've uh, done that with your family. You've done worship. You've done care. You've planted churches. You've written books. What else is there about Kevin Stoffer that we can say? Oh, my word. What is... Um... He's scatterbrained. Um, <laughs> uh, he needs his wife to help him get through the day and not get lost. No. Um, I get that. Yeah. Um, we're just over there uh, just trying to serve, and, and um, God keeps opening up doors, um, often to my great surprise, mm. that, um, that we step through. And, you know, you, they always talk about how fast time goes, but, I mean, it, it really is like you look up and it's been 20 years, and... And God's allowed you to do a few things, and you feel like I just got here. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm just just getting comfortable in this new culture. I mean, wow, it's been 20 years, and wow. but God's been very faithful. So yeah. I'll give, say that that's awesome. How many kids do you have? Three kids, all grown now. Um, so 20. Oh, don't screw this up. 28, 23, and 19. That's awesome. Uh, are they so they're all out of the house? Are they back stateside? Or are they um, still out in France? Yeah, so one stateside, uh, Mark, uh, and he's he's married uh, to Carly. They're down in the south of Alabama, and then the the other two, my two daughters, both live in France. So one's married uh, to Max, and they live in uh, Saint Priest, not very far from us. And yeah. then our youngest, Lou, is. Um, Lucy starts college in the fall. She took a year off. She's 19. She starts college in the fall there in Lyon, and she's still at the house while she's going to school. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. Well, we're so thankful to have you here. Um, we're privileged to be able to talk a little bit today. Um, yeah, so today we're kind of talking about how uh, there is a mission field for young adults that we as Grace Church are trying to, to minister to and open that door and create space to gather. Uh, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about today, um, about your experience in mission work, bridging that gap culturally in different ways and how we could possibly as a church take those, uh, and use them and recognize, oh, right. There is, there's a different culture that we're trying to minister to. Uh, David said a lot when we were first introducing this vision campaign, recognizing that almost young adults as a different country and the importance behind recognizing that and seeing them as a different culture, a different country. Um, and it was so impactful to a lot of our church going, yeah, you're right. We should do that. And so I love, uh, what David told me that you said about this topic of recognizing, uh, if I butcher this quote, I'm sorry, but it says the cultural gap, um, to minister to young adults is a wider gap today than it was for you going to France for the first time, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think the reason I say that is because if you if, if you don't dig down and get really aware, you don't like so me. I'm 57, mm-hmm. so I've you know I've grown kids. Obviously, I'm not. And when I want to talk to my 19 year old and her friends, 
and especially when she was so, so it gets easier as they get older a little bit, but when she was 18, 17, 16, you know, um, the first thing I had to do is just realize, wow, it's not a little bit different. It's a lot different. And the difference is even more than, so like my, my oldest is 10 years older than my youngest. Well, when he was 16, 17, there was a gap, you know, father, son stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't as like that gap has widened in my estimation with his, uh, Gen Z kids. Mm. Um, and what really made me, what really made me think that way as I was talking with David about the subject is, um, I'm about halfway through. I'm doing another master's. I'm doing finally doing a master's in theology. Um, all my uh-huh. other degrees are in music up to this point because I was a music guy. So I've been, you know, it's been great to dig into some of this stuff. And so we've been in, in the course of doing my studies, studying a lot about culture. Um, there's a, a, a great book called Unplugged by Dan Strange mm-hmm. that, that, that talks about this stuff mm-hmm. about culture uh, in, in the gospel. And just got me thinking about it. So I started to say, okay, well, I've got this Gen Z kid living in my house. Hmm. Let's let's dig into this. Let's yeah. study this as a culture because I had it for, for a class. And the, like, the more I talked with her, because I had this resource living in my house, the more I talked with her, the more I realized it's way, way bigger a gap than I thought. Like the way they wow. think fundamentally, yeah. I just kept peeling away layers of that onion and realizing, wow, this gap is so much bigger than I realize, and this yeah. is with someone that I lived with. Yeah. Um, the 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 thing that really pushed me towards it, I did a a study. So my daughter and a lot of Gen Z kids were really into this musical that came out, Dear Evan Hansen. You may or may not be familiar with that. Yeah. So Dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. like the big thing about it is it's all about being seen. Yeah. Being seen. Well, you know. We'll, we'll, um, I realized that's kind of their mantra. Like being mm. seen is like the biggest Gen Z thing. And so then I asked my daughter, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because so she won't dig this. But <laughs> so I asked my daughter, I said, Lucy, what's your biggest fear in life of all things? And she said, she thought about it. And she very seriously looked at me and said, my biggest fear is being left out. Mm. Now, I've grown as a dad and I didn't say what came into my head. What came into my uh, 57-year-old head, I'm not sure what that makes me, Gen X maybe, but a different way of thinking, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm closer to 60 than 50, so yeah. my, my way of looking at the world is a lot different than hers. So mm-hmm. what I wanted to say is that's the stupidest, worst fear I've ever heard. Yeah. Fear of being left out, I can give you I can give you 10 things that are worse than that that mm-hmm. should be. Yeah. But by God's grace, I didn't say any of those things. I yeah. went, wow, Lucy, that's interesting. Your biggest fear is being left out. Yep. I said, can we talk about that a little bit? And she said, yeah. And, and, and she said, that's, that's the biggest fear, I think, among most of my peers in high school, in a French yeah. high school, where she went, being left out is my biggest fear. So I thought, wow, like, that's not even close to my biggest fear. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable to feel left out, but, I mean, that's what drives them. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It started really making me look at them in a different way. Mm. So... That's kind of how I got down that rabbit hole a little bit. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I I can relate to that a little bit. I know that I'm, me and my wife are getting a little bit on the other side of uh, being young adults, uh, and we've we've heard different people say, well, in our first podcast uh, with the guy that we talked with, Michael Phillips, kind of made that young adult gap, eighteen to thirty five, which is a really large gap. And then when we talk to young adults, they're going, yeah, that's the gap if you remain single. 
So it's really interesting where they're like, if you're married with a kid, you're kind of a, on the other side it, of it, it regardless of what time, what age you are. Mm-hmm. And so it almost feels like this moment in life and seasons of life and all that kind of things where uh, you're still trying to figure out who you are, who your people, all this kind of stuff. Right. And so there is a part of me that understands that like fear of being left out. That was, a, that was just a real thing. I'm not sure if it would be my biggest fear. Right. But it does, that just cultural divide is so, is so different. Yeah, I think you would certainly relate to it more than I would. You know, I, I think, um, I mean, my biggest fear when I was 18 or 19, I was in music school and I, I, to be found incompetent, to not be good enough, mm-hmm. to not have worked hard enough. You yeah. Know? And I think that was very much of, I sound so old when I say this, but like my generation type, you know, but um, that success at all cost and uh that i mean that's that's not a mentality you see yeah as much with the you know when i talk with my daughter mm-hmm. and her friends or the people in our church of that age group you know they, they look at life really differently mm-hmm. and so not unlike what i was that's what i was saying with david not unlike when i went through france um when we first got there we realized that we were different and then if we wanted to minister to these people it was our job to adapt to them not their yeah. job to adapt to me yeah and so when i when I started talking with my daughter, did the same thing. I realized, okay, this is so different. But even though she's my daughter, even though, you know, I need to approach it like I did when I was trying to learn the French people when I yeah. first got there. And and so tell me about you. Tell Really, that's, wow, I didn't realize. So tell me about that. You know, and, and I did that a lot with the French when I first got there, and it helped a lot. Yeah, what were those, what were those types of differences that you saw when you guys first went over to France and you were like, we need a mission, to, we need a... Minister to these people. Yeah. Um, so the French, uh, they think really differently about a lot of things, and it's not evident at first until you have a lot of conversations. For instance, um, it's more one one thing that comes to mind initially is it's more or less a socialist country. Mm. Um, that sounds like a dirty word of the United States, but it's a. I mean, so they have three things on every public building there on every mayor's office it's a, like the french motto french slogan whatever mm-hmm. and it's it's um liberté liberty um égalité we're all equal okay and mm-hmm. fraternité like brotherhood mm-hmm. now if you said to most americans you say well liberty yes we're all about liberty we jive with that absolutely very good uh Egalitate. Nobody's better than anybody else. Yep, that's pretty American too. We're all yep. down with that. Yeah. Fraternity. So what they mean by fraternity is, as a human being, and especially as a French citizen, but even as a human being, um, you owe me and I owe you, and we're responsible for each other. So if mm. your kid is, is you know, uh, can't pay for school, well, then our, the, the society should help him pay for school. And then maybe next day my kid or my grandkid might need it. Or mm-hmm. if you, you know, so um, there's a much bigger sense of we are responsible for each other and we have to take care of each other, yeah. almost like within the French. And that, like Americans would say that's a good thing, but to say it's your duty, I'm not sure every American, you know, that, that mm. doesn't jive with what I came up with in the 80s, as you know America is the greatest place because it allows you to do for yourself and you can, yeah. do, you know, and that's, that's the vibe. Yeah. That's the, there's a lot of self-sufficiency. That's, that's right. I right. myself and, and the French are like, yeah, no, you know, that's not. And, um, hmm. there, so that, that's one way that's really different. Another way that's really different. It took me a while to figure out is that they're very negative. They're very mm. complainers. Their, their way of saying something is good as they say, it's not bad. Mm. Um, and, and one of the things that's never failed me in 21 years is when I 
stand, I often do a lot of public speaking there, and so when I stand up in front of a, a group of French people and we talk about these cultural things and I'll say, if, um, if I were to get you to tell me something about the French, I'm talking to a you know, crowd of French people, and I said, in one word, tell me who you are as a people. Imagine I just got here, I don't know anything about you. Tell me in one word who you are. What would you say? And it's like they all chorus, almost as if they'd agreed upon it before I got there. Mm. Like they all know what to say. Mm. They all say, râleur, on est râleur, nous sommes le râleur. Râleur um, would translate to railer, like to rail against, hmm. to complain, but in a way more heavy thing to like, we don't stand for injustice. We, we don't, you know, if, if, if the government's wrong, if this is wrong, that's why they strike all the time. Yeah. That's why they, you know, if, if something is not right, we, we speak up. That's a yeah. very French thing. We don't just, you know, everyone... Hmm expresses their displeasure whenever that is a French right. Yeah. That's, a, that's who we are. And that's and they're like proud of that. Yeah. It's like we rally together. No, but no, rally, no. well, sort of, but rally, rail, like to rail against. To, oh, okay. To, gotcha. Yeah, rail, it's R-A-I-L. So like we rail against injustice or if someone's, you know, the boss is wrong a lot of times, it's stick it to the man kind yeah, of thing. Okay. You know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Like the workers and it goes back to the French Revolution. So like, okay. So, so they're, uh, so like, for me as a missionary, their yeah. idea about church government and and a hierarchical version of authority with a pastor, they're, they're elder-driven churches are much more the norm there where there's mm. a pastor, but it's one guy doesn't have all the thing because that's a very, like, yeah. they're very, that makes French people very uneasy. They want, they want not one guy making all the decisions. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah, yeah. very French. Mm. It's a little thing. So like understanding, okay. So this is how that's, you know, understanding there's never been a, a Protestant presence in France too much since since the Reformation. The Huguenots were run out, you know, the 14th mm-hmm. ran them out. So that means the single biggest question I answer the most as a missionary there is what's a Protestant. Mm. Wow. Interesting. So I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying with this gap, but it almost seems like you learned how to navigate that just by listening. That's the key. It's yeah. just, you just listen to the people. That's it. You listen and you listen and you be interested in them. People like to talk about themselves generally if you're generally interested in them. Yeah. I mean, and, and that includes, going back to the, our main topic, that includes Gen Z. Like, if you, yeah. like I, I don't think the way you do, but I'd really, really like to understand how you think because yeah. I find it fascinating. It's not at all the way I think. Yeah. It puts value in their, exactly. in their placement, in their situation. But, Right, which is why I said, by God's grace, I didn't do my initial. What perhaps yeah. my thirty-year-old would have said is, "Lucy, that's just a stupid worst fear. Like you should be worried about like death or disease or being broke out on the street or yeah. like there's so many, you know, cancer. I mean, mm-hmm. being left out should not be on your list." Yeah, I did not say that, and mm-hmm. you have to say, "Yeah, wow, okay, you really are coming at life from a different place," and mm-hmm. that's it. And so, yeah, I have to dig into Gen Z. Um, to understand them just as hard as I had to dig into the French as an American moving in. Yeah. When I was, when I was starting my, my degree, there was, uh, a, a cultural study in it. Um, when talking about how to apply the Bible to, um, different generations, different cultures, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there was a, a moment in the book where it's recognizing, uh, the differences in age range, right? There's adolescents, there's young adult, there's, uh, seniors, and up until you're a senior and like established adult, uh, the biggest desire there was, was to be listened to and understood where like no, 
And I, I, I remember this as a kid where I was like, man, when I went to my parents or my grandparents and I was like, Hey, this is, this is the style. This is the cool thing. How awesome is this? It would defeat me. Wait, if they were going, well, that's silly. That's stupid. Like, why are you doing that? But for them to actually put value in what I put value in, it made me feel more open to come to them. Right. Absolutely. It's so interesting. So in terms of putting that in, into practice, then, as we, whether it's me in France or, or, or you guys here, you know, in Atlanta, um, as we try to minister to, to understand, to create relationships with these young adults, these Gen Z, the first thing is depending on your age. So like we've already mentioned, it would be different you relating them to me relating yeah. to them. I'm literally their dad's age, if not older. So it's yeah. a different thing. Okay. But to understand, first and foremost, that it is a different culture. Yep to recognize that and just give value to it. Like you said, like it's not, it's not a stupid culture. It's, no. it's, it's another way of looking at life. And, the, and, and that's profound. There's a lot that has been written on that. Um, the Gospel Coalition has got a really good article. If you just look up Gen Z stuff on the Gospel Coalition, there's a great article where they interviewed a number of people uh, that do ministry on college campuses to mm. get that tell us about Gen Z. And there's you know three or four different people from Campus Crusade and stuff like that that wow. gave a really clear like i read that and went wow yeah that that sounds a a lot like my daughter and b i never thought about that um Hmm. but to understand them and say okay i need to put as much energy into understanding them as as if i were in a mission field in another land like i did in france you know Hmm. and and listening like you said you know so like once you understand them then you can adapt your behavior to to relate to them yeah but but first you'd have to like like get a map of even how they think or what to do what, what they value mm-hmm. and that only comes from asking questions and listening yeah and so it seems like you've you kind of came across this social divide at home first right you're like well you were studying it mm-hmm. and then you saw it in your daughter mm-hmm. uh and so coming to the states for a little while do you still see this growing understanding of that divide or is it do you feel like that's actually pretty universal uh internationally and things like that I think, um, for one thing, in a lot of ways, the world is continues to become smaller because everybody is, you know, everybody's on TikTok and, and, and Instagram and, um, you know, you, you follow people from all over the world, yeah. right? It's not a it's not a, an Atlanta thing anymore. Yeah, like, you know, I, I grew up in Northwest Florida and I knew kind of what was going on in the United States. I certainly knew what was going on in my high school. I had no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. Yeah. This is pre-internet, you know, nobody had cell phones. So... So that that was our world. Well, now, man, the world is so different and so small. And in one way that it's really different is that we're all sort of tied together globally now in a way we never were before. So yeah. these kids are informed about a bunch of stuff that we weren't informed about. They're thinking about things I wasn't thinking about. You know, um, saving the planet is a big deal to them. A yeah. really, and it should be. It's a big deal. So, like acting like that's unimportant is going to be downright offensive. Yeah. You know, um, again, like with my daughter, acting like it doesn't matter if you're seen what it matters to them. Yeah. You know, um, so, so just understanding it and invalidating it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause it, it really does kind of feel like, yeah, especially this young adult generation, this generation Z, uh, almost seem way more connected internationally than ever before to any other generation they're all kind of seem like this one people, right? Or do you feel like there are kind of subcultures in different areas of the world? Well, there's subcultures, but I don't know that 
and to some degree probably in different areas of the world because I mean the, the, those cultures do exist but then you've got online cultures I mean yeah that's true you know you 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 play videos with some guy in New Zealand, you know, uh, yep. or, or whatever. That's, yeah, that's your bud, you know, you know, whatever. Uh, so, so all those things are getting redefined, especially for people like me. Remember this generation never didn't have the internet. Yeah. They never didn't have cell phones in their life where they could, um, you know, just even in terms of, uh, especially when you're dealing with non-believers, right? So even yeah. I, I remember watching a, uh, an episode of blue bloods cop show that I like to watch sometimes. And, and they were talking about some of these issues and as they have the sit around the table, if you've ever seen the show. Yep. And so the youngest kid in it, they were, they were talking about this woman who had an only fans page, who was a cop and then what they do with that and how's that. And he said, you know, somebody my age, the 18 year old pipes up and says, it's just natural for me to, if I see a woman, you know, on TV or in a movie to go, Hmm, I wonder what she looks like naked and pull it up and I can probably find it. Yeah. And like, it Gosh. wasn't, it was just like, that's just a normal, like, like just a first reaction. And I thought, you know, that's absolutely true though. Yeah. It's not a, and it's not a like, Ooh, like they don't even see it as like some perverted thing. It's, hmm, I wonder what she looks like naked. It's readily available. Let me see. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Moving on with my day now. Gosh. Uh, okay. Well, well the Bible has some things to say about that. Yeah. hundred percent. You know? Um, so uh, the other things that you know that Gen Z cares a lot about right now are, are is, is the whole gender thing and, and, mm-hmm. and same sex attraction thing and how you label that and how you talk about that and how are you accepting are you affirming are you well you know you that's a super super important issue to these people yeah super important so treating that lightly treating like it doesn't matter treating like it's a dumb thing treating that mm. it's just going to get them to shut you down and say okay boomer and get out of my face yeah you know? um Wow. But saying, I get it. Those people are important to me too. Yeah. Because they're important to me, because I love those people, I feel like I have to, I have to accept them and love as, as children of God, but also say, you know, I really believe that God has some things to say about how we're supposed to live. And among those is how we relate to sex and identity. And I really believe that's true. So yeah. because I really believe that's true, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I think is the truth in love, but because I love these people, not because I hate these people, or not because I'm trying to, you know, beat these people over the head or even change these people. That's God's job to change these yeah. people. But my job is to love them and say, okay, but loving you, you know, telling you if I um yeah, this is long, but it's probably worth doing. Yeah. You you know um Penn and Teller, the the musicians, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. So yeah. Um, Penn Gillette, the one who talks, the bigger guy with the long yeah, hair, yeah. right? He's a, a a devout, outspoken atheist, really intelligent guy, mm-hmm. really smart guy. Yeah. And I heard him in an interview say a thing that I I, I tucked away, it really made sense to me, and I really appreciated his candor. He said that um, from time to time, so they've got this open show in Vegas doing their thing, and he's a raunchy body atheist dude. I mean, no, unapologetically, you know, and. Um, he said, there's this guy that comes and every once in a while we'll leave him, you know, Gideon Bible, whatever, he comes to the show regularly, he says he prays for me. He's come backstage and talked to me a lot. You know, he, he says, I think he's a Baptist, but I'm not even sure. I don't know, just some guy, but he's, he's, he's a, a real believer. And I said, this guy is a good Christian. Like, you see by his actions, like if all Christians were like him, wow, that would be a great thing. He said, no, his, his point is the fact that there's a good man that I've run into doesn't make me believe in God hmm. at all. There's no God. He says, but... I really, he thinks there's no God, but I really understand the word he uses, proselytizing. I really understand, which means, you know, sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel. I understand why he wants to come and tell me 
hmm. about Jesus. I get it. I'm not mad at him for wanting to do that because he really believes it. Hmm. He really thinks that I'm going to hell. He really believes like there's a bus coming right at me and he's doing everything he can to tell me to step out of the way from the bus. Now, I don't believe in the bus, says hmm. Pendulette. But I appreciate the fact that since he really, he says, if he really does believe that bus is coming right at me, how much he, would he have to hate me to not tell me? Hmm. Yeah. And that's a great example, a great story. So I, I share that a lot. I said, look, so, you know, I may be wrong. Maybe the bus isn't coming. You know, maybe this whole Christianity thing is a big mistake and all of us that believe it are wrong. That's not what I think. Yeah. But, but here's the thing you have to give me when I talk to Gen Z folks, especially when I talk to Gen Z folks who are, are same-sex attracted or having, you know, gender issues and all that. If I really believe this to be true, then that's like me saying, okay, you know what? I don't want to upset you, so just don't worry about the bus that's coming. Mm. If I really believe that bus is coming, mm. then because I love you, I'm going to say, hey, man, there's a bus. Yeah. And I can't make you move. But I swear to you, I believe that bus is real. Can yeah. we talk about the bus? Mm. And if you say, no, I don't want to talk about the bus, okay, I can't tackle you and pull you off. The th- I mean, I can't. But I'm, I'm probably going to be persistent. I, I really think we need to talk about this bus. Because mm. I fear for your life. I really think this bus is going to hurt you yeah. and hurt you bad. Um, and what I found is that if you can communicate that, Gen Z people will listen to you with a lot more openness than they would before. Yeah. Because they said, you know, you like, first of all, I really do believe this and it's okay if you don't, it's okay if you disagree with me, but, but you have to understand, I really think this. And number two, since I really think it, I really think it's going to hurt you. And I'm telling you these things because I care about you, not because I hate you. Mm. Um, that, that bridges that gap a lot. Yeah. In my, in my experience. Honestly, I think, I think you're right on with that. When we were trying to, when we're trying to figure out how to engage, with this culture of adults as a mission field. It really, I think we've, we've, you've talked about it, right? It starts with listening, starts with engaging with what they care about, right? And not dismissing it, but engaging with it. And then being genuine in how you feel like Jesus actually talks to that, mm. right? Because we do believe that. We believe that, that the Bible, that God cares about what they care about and he engages with what they engage with. And so if we truly believe that God cares for them and that he's called us to minister to them, then we should also care and engage with what they're engaging with mm-hmm. uh, and recognize, hey, there's there's a difference in that. Um, I We have our beliefs and our opinions on things politically and things like that, but like, hey, the things that you care about, when we're really talking about your spirit, when you're, your eternal life, uh, whether you'll be with God or eternally separated from God, Let's be real and honest about what's what's going on uh, and engage with that. I think regardless um, whether you're ministering to young adults or any culture anywhere, I think that's kind of the building blocks of where you go, correct? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm wondering if this just answered my, my next question, but going into is is there just one way of ministering to a group of individuals or does it look more like a case by case, individual by individual? How do we just minister to the person? Yeah, I think case by case. I mean, there, there are groups that, you know, if somebody's chosen to be in a, an affinity group, if somebody's chosen to be in a, 
skydiving group or a D&D group or a whatever group, well then, okay, there's going to be a lot of like-minded people in that group. If you're yeah. dealing with a group, I mean, that's that makes, true. you know, yeah. um, so you can say there, but, but at the end of the day, we save people one person at a time. Yeah. Well, let me rephrase that. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ saves people, mm-hmm. but we, we get to participate or we get to witness, you know, usually in my thing, even though sometimes I talk to groups, it's, it's groups that lead to individual conversations. It's, you mm-hmm. know, um, so I mean, it's, it's, it's both, but I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, the, the real work gets done when you're talking, uh, one-on-one or even in small groups, you know, the bigger yeah. the group, the, the less intimate it is by definition. It's true. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, like there were certain things in France that I knew were to, you know, were true. Yeah. I knew that, that if I started talking about Christian stuff, they didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. Like, um, you may have heard of the theologian Don Carson, but um, he, he's got a great quote. He said when he first got into ministry, he was on doing campus ministry when he first started out. And he says, I was dealing with a lot of heathens. But back then they were at least good God-fearing heathens. And, you know, and you That's think about that. Yeah. I'm good. But what he meant by that is that in the early 70s, um, kids that he met on American college campuses probably rejected, you know, that, that, that weren't, have anything to do with Christianity, were rejecting something they at least heard something about. They may mm-hmm. not have understood everything about salvation, or they may have heard the gospel message, but probably at that era in the United States, it wasn't that they were starting from zero, or zero, excuse me, mm-hmm. or, or where they knew nothing, you know what I mean? Like they, they had some sort of background that he could push back up against, or that mm-hmm. he could, you know, there was a, a ball that he could throw the tennis ball of the gospel up against, and they would, it would, they catch it or rebound back, you know, and yeah. that's how it, He's, but now, like you throw the ball and there's nothing to even catch it. It just mm-hmm. there's there's no background. There's no. Yeah. You have to start from absolute scratch, which yeah. is what I ran into in France. So like there, it's like well, Protestant. What does that even mean? Like mm-hmm. I've seen the Catholic churches. They're not practicing Catholic either, but most folks. Um, when I got there, there was about uh, the statistics said it's about one and a half percent would be what we call evangelical Christian. Now it's up to three percent, which is awesome growth. Yeah. Um, in twenty years, God has done some amazing things in France, um, but it's still only three percent. Yeah. So you still realize, okay, statistically, most everybody I talk to doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Um, so how does that relate? When I talk to them, I have to talk a certain way. I we're not ever going to sing a song that says Hosanna mm. without saying this is what this Hosanna thing means. Understand. You know, because then they, oh, okay, because uh, I don't expect them to know. Yeah. Um, we have to say things, it's a joke, but it also serves a purpose. You know, when we were talking about the, the, the slain lamb, it's not a barbecue out back to church after yeah. service. You know, there's, I mean, because in France, they look at them. It means something, what does that mean? And, and so understanding that these people don't have that background mm-hmm. that I might have had growing up yeah. in the 70s, you know, hearing those things. So, you start from, yeah, well, this is what a Protestant means. This is coming. Mm. So we actually really put a lot of stock in what the Bible says. And that's, yeah. that's sort of, that sort of is what dictates why we do. So when we say we don't agree with this thing, it's not because we are saying we don't agree with you or we don't like you. It's saying that we've chosen to live by what this book says and yeah. we submit ourselves to that. And so because we submit ourselves to that, you know, it changes what we feel like we have the right to say okay to or not okay to. It's, yeah. it's not us making this stuff up arbitrarily. We have, we have a guide, and it comes from that, 100%. and it comes from the fact that we're one of these what you call a Protestant. Yeah. You know, um, that's such a great way of explaining it because I mean I think we're even sending seeing that trend in the South where it's always been typically where in the Bible Belt people understand biblical language and imagery, 
and that trend's going away uh, slowly, slow, more sure. slowly in the South than it is other places. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you were in New England, it'd be, it would look differently. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To where we are even like seeing young adults come in and we are singing Come Thou Fount. And they're like, what's an Ebenezer? Yeah. And how do I, how do I raise one? <laughs> right. And so I've, uh, as, as the worship guy, I've had to explain like, Hey, an Ebenezer is just a monument to remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and just using sim- simpler language sure, uh, to engage with their, their culture and their, their ideas yeah. and their pre-understandings. Yeah. Um, and Ebe- so I'm, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts of how we can measure success, uh, and uh, well, as a successful ministry within a like within a cultural context, like or if if we even can measure success. Yeah, I mean that's tricky, especially because uh, Americans in ministry tend to have a very success-oriented mindset, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, we you know I want to yeah, know numbers: how many people got saved, how many people got baptized, how many times did you share the gospel this week, how many times? I, mm-hmm. I know missions that operate that. Thankful, thankfully, ours is not. Um, I don't know. I, I'm afraid. Um, after 21 years in Europe, I'm a lot less American in my way of thinking than I used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm I'm a little bit leery of benchmarks that you mm-hmm. have to do to measure success. Um, at the same time, I mean, I don't think you know sitting around on your couch all the time and just wishing that people get saved is probably, you know, a a good thing either. I mean, I, I, um, that's a very complex and difficult question and I don't have a good answer for it, but my initial knee jerk reaction is, um, my initial jerk reaction is you'd have to use some common sense to find a compromise between saying we can't really read the amount of fruit I and mean, we're sowing a lot of seeds and, and maybe the fruit's just not coming up yet. Mm. Um, and at the same time, you like to see some fruit. If you keep beating your head up against a wall, you know, at the very least we should be asking God, God, do you still want me beating my head? Sometimes he'll say mm. yes. Yeah. Sometimes he'll say, yep, keep beating your head. Gosh. It's not time yet or whatever. Yeah. Um, again, going back to, to Don Carson, he wrote a book about his dad's life. Who's So Don Carson's a big a well-known theologian uh, from Trinity up in Chicago and a very important person in the, the Gospel Coalition. I've written a lot of books, super smart guy. He grew up an MK um, in Canada. And uh, mm-hmm. his dad had this little bitty church that I don't think ever was about 100. I haven't read the Bob Offery, but I've heard him talk a lot about it. And, it, and you know, his dad never saw any of the big success. He gave his life to being a pastor in this in this area where there weren't any churches, you know, in, in Canada, and um, never saw any success mm. in in the, in the sense that we would think of a big church success, yeah, and yeah. you know, um, and yet, you know, Donald's like he 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 sowed a lot of seeds, and 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 a lot of things happened later, and and look at the lives he affected, and you know, but in his life, he didn't see this big, you know, Rick Warren esque ministry jump up. Mm. Um, so I don't know. And, and, and Carson says, you know, there's no way we don't have even enough knowledge to be able to say, was this a successful ministry? Mm. This is a guy who tried to serve God as best he could where he was asked to serve. Yeah. Which is often how I feel because yeah. most all the time I feel utterly inadequate to do this stuff. And, and yet God is like you mentioned, you know, real graciously, God's done stuff. I mean, I've, 
been allowed to go teach in Bible schools, you know, in a couple different places in Africa. I've teach at a Bible school in Geneva, Switzerland. Never thought this boy from Atlanta would be doing that. And, you know, huh. um, he's let us write a book on on worship in the French culture. He, you know, I, I we, we've, the group we're, we are with, I've now planted five churches. We're now six churches in Greater wow. Lyon. We were one when I got there 20 years ago. God has done some amazing things. Yeah. Um, I still feel pretty inadequate almost every day. Wow. So it's God. It's not, yeah. you know, so I, I don't, go, going back to the, to, to the success of a ministry or whatever, I, I, I tread really lightly there. That yeah. kind of scares me because I don't know how we can really know. But what mm. we can do is we can be faithful. Yep. We can feel like we've searched God. We, 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 we've sought after God for what he wants us to do. And we've used the skills he's given us to follow that vision and to minister in the place he's planted us to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think all we can look at is, you know, you won't get the real evaluation for ministry until you get up and do you hear well done, good faithful servant or not. Mm. And that's what gets me up most days is wanting to hear well done. Wow. That is far better of an answer than I was expecting or hoping for. I really, I mean, honestly, when we really think about it, when we, when we are ministering to people, it's not about, uh, the success or the numbers and things like that. It's honestly, are we being faithful to what scripture tells us to do? Or is, is our role for a time to beat our head against the wall and just sow the seeds and not see any fruit, but recognize there will be right. And have faith and recognize that ultimately it's God's decision. Ultimately it's his kingdom. It's his rule, his domain. Uh, and we just have a privilege of being a part of it for as long as we can be. Uh, I think that's incredible. Um, and you may not get to see the seeds come up. Sometimes yeah. you, your Bible says somebody plants, somebody else reaps. I yep. mean, you know, like it makes me think of David. You know, bring, you know, Lord said, bring all this stuff in, but you don't get to build the temple. Your son's going to build the temple. Mm. You just you just prepare all this stuff for him, for example. But, I mean, there's, there's lots of examples where, or like Job, you know, all this stuff happened to Job. And we get to read the story of Job, you know, where um, we, we know that, God and, and Satan were talking and, and he allowed him to be tempted and all this stuff happened, right? But if you think about it, Job never got that explanation. Mm-mm. He never gets told why all this stuff happens to him. Yeah. Just be faithful anyway. Wow. Is there uh, any last encouragement that you would give to anyone listening or our church when wanting and desiring to engage with the adult culture in ministry? Yeah, especially I think the people I would want to talk to most are the people my age, you know, the Hmm. Um, like I said, I, I, I want to say I'm a Gen X or I don't know, but there's a lot of people between 50 and 60, um, even see on the internet now it's become like a thing, like people our age giving, you know, this is what it was like when we were kids. I mean, it's very popular people in my demographic group. I would want to encourage you to listen to the 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds around you hmm. and ask them a lot of questions about how they see the world because, they see the world really differently yeah. and it's intriguing and it's interesting and it's um, revelatory. Um, and you can have great conversations about the different ways you see the world. But the first thing you've got to do is you've got to ask genuine questions and you've got to be interested in the answers. Yeah. And in my experience, if you do that, first of all, a lot of youth will be like, what? Because they're not used to people my age being interested in the way they think, to be yeah. honest. I don't think yeah. they are. 
That's been my experience. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but if you're asking genuine questions and wanting to understand and wanting to give value, okay, well, that's I can understand growing up in the situation you you know and always having a phone and always having the internet and everyone always knowing what you're doing all the time. And then if there's, uh, then you see tomorrow that all five of your friends went on a thing and they posted it on Insta and you're not included that, wow, that would make you feel terrible. I can imagine that'd be really hard Yeah. or whatever. Like buying into and validating what they think, which you have to ask questions to get there. Mm-hmm. Like that is the bridge. Mm. That is the way in. Then all of a sudden, and you can say, you know, I, I wouldn't have looked at it that way, but yeah. I can understand and appreciate that you do. Wow. Um, at least in my experience, and it's been a couple of years now that I've been really jumping down this rabbit hole trying to work with and understand Gen Z more and more. It's a, it's, that's the key, is, is validate. Don't agree with, hmm. necessarily. Certainly don't agree with something you don't agree with, but, but don't poo-poo it. And that, that, that would have been my, you know, mm-hmm. I taught high school before I did this. I've been, you know, like, what do you mean? That's ridiculous. Yeah. No, no. Okay. You really think that? Like, I remember talking to my daughter, like, that is for real. Like, you are not messing around with me. You really think that? Mm. Yeah, I really do. Okay. That gives me something to think about. I, I'm surprised that those are your biggest fears or your biggest worries or, or, or your biggest desires or your biggest, wow, you, the world it looks a lot different to you. Hmm. And when you can get there, boy, then you can make a lot of progress. Wow. That is awesome. Um, Thank you. Thank you for your insight and all that kind of stuff. Appreciate it. Happy to be here with you. Hey, thank you so much for listening. For more information about how we're doing this as a campus, you can check us out online at towncenter.gracechurches.org eo3. Our prayer is that whatever moment you're in, you know that God can use you. We'll see you next time.